0: Music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield and it's the Hivecast. I'm very excited today to have Bradford Cox here with me. Huge fan of Deer Hunter and Atlas Sound. Thank you so much, Matt. And Bradford, it's great to have you. you know, I'm, I, I'm very
1: honored to be here and I'm a long-time fan of yours too. So
0: It means a lot to me, you know, you'd watch that. You know, one twenty growing up, and
1: oh yeah, I'm a 120 minutes baby.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: me and Lockett both. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think and Moses as well. We, that's probably the you know before we all even met each other, probably we were all staying up twelve o'clock on Sunday night. Yeah. I still have them all on VHS in my attic in my dad's house.
0: And it's just like a common thread. That's a great thing. I mean, it's
1: well, it was really our only um, access to what was into new music that was going. You know. Like a lot of our cousins would have like Lou Reed records, or just you know, there's this certain Athens, Georgia kid record collection just gets issued to like the slightly artsy kids in Athens, you know. So you like get like Transformer,
0: Aladdin and Sane, and yeah, Bowie,
1: Pylon, and, and you know, Gyrate, first, right? And, yeah, know, Gyrate in the first couple, maybe murmur and you know, like in Chronic Town, things like that, Chronic Town, B 52s, and and you know, to hear the new groups, you know, Pavement. Chavez, Keith, I knew you were fun of, yeah. Uh, I remember Chavez and uh, Ride yeah. the Fader, man. Oh. Matt Sweeney, right? And all yeah, Matt Sweeney. A lot of yeah. them. A lot of the <laughs>
0: Matador groups. Um, Matt's such a great guy too. He's cool. I did a benefit show with him recently, like around the time of uh, Superstorm Sandy. We did like a benefit thing together. He's such really a
1: cool. funny guy. I, he I got to hang out yeah. with him in Barcelona and a couple other times. And he's so. But cool. when you did
0: like the festival out there.
1: Uh yeah, it was primavera. Yeah. He's Primavera's a, very a cool festival, guy. right?
0: I wish I could go to it. It's you know, it's pretty you far should... but it must be a great experience to play that though, right? Isn't it quite beautiful when you play out it?
1: It is very beautiful. It's it's I would say it's like we've been really lucky in that we've been consistently invited, so I sort of hope that I get invited every year because it's sort of just like my it's like I just know it'll be my vacation. I've never taken a vacation I mean, maybe when I was a kid, we went to Disneyland or something, but, like, I wasn't raised, really, to take vacations, you know? Um, Like, if I was off of school, my parents had to work or something. So, like, I never really traveled or took vacations. We certainly never traveled outside of wherever we were living, so... To go to Barcelona every year is sort of a real... Amazing uh, (laughs) thing, right? Amazing thing for me, yeah. And I really like Barcelona. It's such a beautiful... I love Spain and Portugal as well. All
0: those, you know... Near the water, kind of gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. just so relaxing there. You know, it's amazing we found out you and I were born in the same hospital in yeah, St. Mary's, which is incredible to me. You know, the-
1: yeah, and yeah. I only know maybe two other people that were born there. Athens is a lot like um, a college. It's, town. it's actually a lot like Brooklyn, if you really want to think about it. I mean, Brooklyn doesn't have like the UGA like central reason, but uh, I mean, Athens is basically a city that's sort of. Founded around that university and built around it. But in the same way that, like, not a lot of the young people that you meet in Brooklyn are actually from Brooklyn. Yeah, they they moved there just kind of. They just moved there. It's an artistic hub. And, you know, when you meet people from Brooklyn, it's sort of different. Like, there's this whole culture of people that are from Athens. And it's usually not really as, uh, it doesn't always conform to the artistic art school sort of thing, you know, of UGA students. I mean, they all get along, you know? There's a mutual respect. And that's a cool thing, you know? Especially what there was, as I recall, and this is documented in the 80s, you know? Yeah. I mean, now it's just all... Uh, you can't tell the difference between Athens and Atlanta and Marietta
0: and, you know... And there's, uh, like, music scenes in all those places, right? Because there's a yeah, lot of I mean, you guys... Well, guys, like, it's, you uh, black now it's, and... it's
1: just... I don't want to be negative, but, you know, I don't see a lot of stuff going on that I'm interested in anywhere, really. Yeah, because it seems like it's all pretty safe, and um, I don't really get the chills down my spine that
0: much, you know. Yeah, you want those chills, music. Yeah, like. I mean, you I wanna want to be, I want to be watching
1: somebody way. and be and be jealous and be like, you got that thing that like, like you know, just they begins. have this magnetic, you know, wild. Why does this speak to me so much? You know, like, and I think that there was an ambiguity in music for a long time, that's now been pretty much. Written out as like an HTML code, you know. Yeah, I know. What you it's mean. Sort of like they've they've figured out the DNA strands that make music mysterious and magical, and they've uh, been able to sort of reproduce that in a way that devalues and demystifies things. I used to always be very interested when I started this group and when I started doing interviews about you know eight or ten years ago. I used to constantly in interviews. I used to constantly say. I'm really interested in demystification, you know. Why is feedback and rock and roll and like magenta light and all this abstract stuff, why does it have this evocative, complete quality? And now as I'm older and I've seen it all demystified to the point of being sellable and safe, I really would like there to be, like, a mutation and, like, a dangerous new antibiotic-resistant
0: virus of rock and roll. I love what you're saying because I absolutely agree with you. I mean, like I want just, something that come and go against the grain. You know, a of lot of times it, it could
1: even be an aesthetic thing. Like, you listen to a, a group and the way that they're produced, and it's like they're imitating the mistakes of past generations. Like, okay, maybe a certain new wave band or a post-pump band would use a little bit too much chorus... And, you know, it would sort of phase the drums out or, like, you know, the drums are very badly mic'd and sound like cardboard. You know, it sort of has this, like, very small, quaint quality. And, you know, those were... They were probably
0: had a lot more to do with, yeah, were like, circumstances limitations. Like there were limitations.
1: Were. Now people, you know, uh, and I'm guilty of this to a certain extent, um, but invent limitations in order to make themselves feel more authentic. And, you know, I was interested in recording uh, to acetate. Like um, the last year of my life, I've spent pretty much researching, you know, Paramount, uh, like Charlie Patton, Ma Rainey, uh, like basically country blues from the 20s. The way that it was actually recorded
0: direct to Yeah, acetates, direct right? to, to disc. They uh, used to have those wax, when, when they talk about recording it, it wax, yeah. it was real wax. That and was a lot of them are apparently real- under a river. Isn't it amazing now when you think back? I mean,
1: there's no original copy of Charlie Patton. And even those, you know, performing Poor Me. There is no original copy. There's no, you know, every time we hear any Charlie Patton material, Jack White just recently, respectably uh, reissued and re released Charlie Patton's, you know, survey of his work. And he's somebody that I absolutely adore and, and always have. I grew up in Greenville, Mississippi for a while. And so, when I was very young, I became very educated about blues music, and uh, it's something that I left behind when I left Mississippi. And you know, I was born in Athens, and I, I idolized my cousin. He was very much into the underground American scene, and so I sort of ditched the blues when I got to be an adolescent. and Sort of went towards the art rock stuff. But I guess what I'm to wrap it up <laughs> this tangent. that's no, cool though. I just I I feel like you know blues music is one thing that can never be demystified. Yeah. You will never know what Charlie Patton looked like. You'll never find the original Shroud of Turin Charlie Patton master acetate disc because economics of the time, the depression, made his work so marginalized and invaluable and unvaluable that they simply just threw away the masters. They threw the Paramount Factory, I believe, just threw them in the river or something. I'm not exact. That?
0: That's a legend. I mean, that's here to save it. But- no, but I believe it, you know, because, I mean, do you know that, let's just use this as an example. I'm just going to, this is like kind of going off the deep end, but it re- is the same thing. All the performances in England on top of the pops that were like before a certain amount of the late 70s were all erased. So there's all this unbelievable stuff. I, they, they I the to- Bowie and T-Rex things they may have saved and Lou Reed and some Slade or whatever, there's, and Mata the I mean, very little of that stuff was saved. They erased it all. And even in to, America, to NBC the did the the tapes, same thing. right? Yeah. NBC got rid of all these kinescopes. They actually let people pull up with trucks and take all the stuff that they had for, from all these TV shows and music performances. This is why gone. I believe that
1: I believe... I really do believe the government of a culture, of a country, has an obligation to preserve that country's artistic and, you know, its heritage. And, I mean, there's kinescopes that NBC or whatever, you know... That that's I mean, there's Marvin Rainwater, a old country guy who wrote this fantastic song, Gonna Find Me a Bluebird, you know, yeah. performing on the Ed Sullivan show. Just lost to time and memory. My dad remembers it being on, he, you know, and but we live in an era in which everyday narcissists can eat up bandwidth promoting themselves, yet we can't watch a performance of you know, like a lot of these things were just thrown away and just, it's sort of like when your friend cleans out their house, you go over there and you're like, wow, this place feels really sterile. What did you do? And they're just like, well, I had to start over. I had to clean out my house, get rid of all these old band flyers. And I said, what What did you, what'd you do with them? Oh, you know, I just threw them away. It's toughy in here. And, you know, I'm not a teenager anymore and I don't feel that way anymore. And I don't care about
0: punk or... There's just so much history there. and
1: Well, suddenly the room looks like an Ikea. <laughs> an Ikea to build... The garbage man's like looking at red cross flyers and being like, you know, yeah, what do uh, I can get for this on
0: eBay or something? Wait, does that sound elitist? Not at all in any way. It actually just sounds like, I mean, I, like me, like a music fan who doesn't want to see a lot of that great history go to waste. It's just like, I recently was talking to somebody about how they knocked down... Um, the old record store, the NEMS record store that Brian Epstein had. Like, you know, like they oh, have these true. other tours about the Beatles in Liverpool, but they knocked down the store where the Beatles discovered, you know, all that stuff about sailors from America bringing over the records was a lot but, of But, you know, bullshit. I
1: wonder, Matt,
0: yeah. if we're just not too precious.
1: Because well, I wonder, you know, sometimes I say, the ancient Rome didn't survive. Why should, why should bleaker bobs?
0: Right. Oh, I bought a lot of records in Bleaker Bob's. Oh, I remember. Too. I used I know- <laughs>
1: to buy a lot of the 45s. Yeah. yeah,
0: I remember being there the day I bought this reggae record. Um, it was a guy who called himself Nigger Kojak. You know what I mean? Which is nowadays people would look at that and go, "No," but he was he was a, a black bald guy yeah. from Jamaica who was part of that whole Joe Gibbs uh, family. Yeah, Joe yeah. Gibbs. So he was one of the Joe Gibbs things. I had this single called "Massacre" on Laser Records. That was amazing. Yeah. The same day I bought. Rich kids, Ghosts of Princes and Towers, which was Glenn Matlock and Midge Yours band, yeah. and the Dead Kennedys' California Uberale single. The first pressing where that sleeve they actually folded over oh, wow. the cardboard and put it in a little plastic bag on, on Alternative Tentacles. So I remember like that day. That I, brought I remember. To there's a lot of yeah, magical records. days where you kind of <laughs> yeah.
1: idyllic. You, you you remember? I have a lot of those at thrift stores in Georgia because Georgia is a wild
0: country. What's cool about th- you know isn't that amazing because you go to places where you know that they don't know the value of certain things or they don't care. Well, I, you know, that you bothers
1: it. me a little bit because it's sort of... And I'm not saying... But that, it, I, there's two things that bother me. People that overvalue things. Yeah, I agree. And that overcommodify them. Yeah. And also it bothers me, people that take advantage of, of people like, oh, I just was selling my my uh, my son died in a motorcycle accident. No, like, I agree with that. You know, and, and like, know like they sell, out there oh, well, him, people call, are trying to take advantage. Yeah. I've seen that happen so often with Oh, I know a guy who
0: was a manager of a band and what his actual real job was was going around and um you know like Ripping actually off. well go and going to people who had deaths and and buying out you know their all their stuff. So yeah, I agree with that a 100%. I just meant basically you find great things because they, yeah, you know well, everyone has been Yeah, well that great pillaged. is it
1: when like people like me I you know. I just, I just mm-hmm. bought a house so I'll be getting rid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I plan the, I you can bet your ass I'm going to be giving a lot of like Swell Maps records to <laughs> yeah, you know. the Goodwill and yeah. I'm going to drive out. Yeah. I'm going to drive out to, like, the rural, like, Marietta, Georgia, like, out in the sticks, G- Goodwill. I'm going to give them a bunch of, like, really that's weird, cool. rare vinyl because that's – you know what? I've, all my life I've found strange – I you know, Zanakis records. Yeah. It's a
0: Goodwill, like, you know. <laughs> well, and you want to bring it back to there so somebody yeah. can discover. Maybe and a I, new it's, young it's like, a li-
1: it's like the infinite right. library that you hope yeah. exists for all – because, honestly, like I was saying earlier, it's like they keep – Especially with avant-garde, off-the-wall, left-field, whatever, Pierre Henry or something like that. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, you could get that stuff out of the library. Yeah. I went to the library recently. It's all SpongeBob Square. They want to, it's kind of like how churches, I have a real problem with Christian churches in that they, as a Christian, I find that it's so gross that they all want to make worship so contemporary and relaxed and casual it's sort of like you know just come in your jeans and and you know like actually no you should the whole idea of church and I don't really go to church but you know if I when I do go to church I want it to be this very quieting solemn thing you know and that's just me it's an opinion but it's just I just feel like you know libraries try to update themselves to be my, to give people what they want so I have a Shania Twain city Get rid of the, uh, you know, Brian Eno, John Hassel, yeah. you know.
0: Or like Music for Airports yeah, or like, yeah. you know. You know, they used to have
1: that yeah. on, the, on on vinyl in the yeah. Marietta Library. And Steve, I remember when I was in sixth grade checking out Steve Reich, Music for 18 Musicians.
0: Can you imagine Steve Reich? I mean, I, I'd love to find that on a lot
1: of record library. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, I, 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 I had no yeah. idea what to make of it. But as a child, you know, my first love was probably movies.
0: What did you love? Speaking of which, I mean, I want to. Th- if you're cool with me going back and talking about your childhood, oh, I'd love know, to. Yeah, yeah, there's. You know, I know that you you were born with a certain disease that you and you can tell me a bit about that. You, you but you ended up. Your parents split, and you lived in a house by yourself for a while. right? Yeah, but
1: I mean, I or was, was older. I was older. Yeah, I was old enough to take care of myself. And, yeah, it wasn't like and they it, abandoned and my parents you. don't. Re- my parents, they needed to do, they needed to do something for themselves because I was not exactly and anybody that's ever listened to an interview with me or knows me knows that I would not be maybe the most, like, ideal dream child.
0: Are I any mean, of us, though? <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> guess not. But, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I was
1: probably a handful on top of their personal <laughs> problems that they were having, and they didn't neglect me. I never was hungry or, like, eating out of a dumpster. If I did eat out of a dumpster, it was because of peer pressure from the black lips or something. But. Yeah.
0: By the way, say hi to those guys for me. I sure will, yeah. Uh, Cole wishes he could be here. Yeah,
1: Um, great. But, you know, (laughs) um, my childhood wasn't all dark and dreary. I had a lot of fun, and I had a lot of wild uh,
0: musical experiences. What were the first ones for you? Because, you know, we always remember the things that we heard and the music that, like, you know. And it's not, you know, I'm one of those guys It's not always... I don't, you don't try to be. Everything wasn't always cool. You liked everything, and you were a sponge. That was the
1: thing. Was you know? And I tell my friends, oh, I remember the first time I heard Lou Reed when I was five years old, and Velvet Underground when I was, you know. And, and my friends are all like, "You pretentious dick." But it was true. You wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I was, you know what? I was also listening to and CNC Music Factory. Yeah, and I didn't see what what the difference. The was. difference was that you had going to
0: make your sweat on one hand, and you were listening yeah, to what slip, goes on I or, was or to Bon Jovi. Yeah, and
1: uh, the Velvet Underground and Nico because what's the? My cousin gave me one tape, my sister gave me the other tape. So it was whatever, you like know? you
0: could absorb. There was, you, it was a, it was a clean slate. It was, you know? and like I mean,
1: I thought Skinny Puppy were really cool. I mean, yeah, because my cousin liked them, and you know, he was and industrial. Butthole Surfers as well. You know, they had this. I mean, they had this like very pre Beavis and ButtHead like gross out. Yeah. It was straight sort of way like, to Stephen and you know yeah. moving to Florida and all those, you know. from the, I, yeah. yeah, I mean the socket
0: of David, I was just so <laughs> like
1: taken aback by their weird uh and they they lived right side outside of Athens, and they knew my cousin and you know it was sort of like this whole scene it was real kind of post cramps, you know, yeah, and um I guess you know that was influential on me and uh, my dad. He was very influential on me because my dad um, was like a rockabilly guy, you know, and he grew up in poverty in this in South Georgia. He joined the army just to be able to, you know, to sort to, of to eat well and to have to a future. Eat, yeah, to eat well and sort of be able to have have um... figure out
0: a future and a new direction.
1: Exactly, because his parents were you know he lived on a sharecropping farm and yeah, my father became a marine. Same thing. He was yeah. you know, young and. Went into the Marines, you know, our figuring it dads out. Dads might have even met, run into each other at some <laughs> yeah. point. Now. You never know. Probably. When was your dad the UGA? Uh
0: you know, he was he was there for, for a good part of the '60s. You know what I mean? So that. That's when my yeah. dad was. there. So they, you know, they might have known each other or met each other because well, at that point in time, you know, besides the college, it was a pretty small community, right? You
1: know, it's an interesting <laughs> thing. I'm writing a film right now. Aren't you in a new film like with Jared Leto?
0: Which uh, you, yeah, you I did.
1: A, I did shoot a film this year. Tell me about that one. Well, um, the director asked. If I'd like to participate, what's it called? The Dallas, um, the Dallas Buyers Club, right? And it has it's uh, Matthew McConaughey's in it. Matthew McConaughey's in it. Jennifer Garner, right? Jennifer Garner, and they're very. um, My experience with that was, you know, it was very educational and interesting. You know, Uh, I read the screenplay or script or whatever it's called, yeah. And uh, I really was interested in this person's story. Um, So it's a true story. It's a fictionalized account of a true story of, you know, a guy that. Uh, sort of ha- homophobic, drug abusing, misogynistic sort of jerk, you know? Yeah. Who played by Matthew McConaughey. And he is sort of this very Texas trailer park kind of guy. And um, he contracts HIV from, you know, a prostitute or drugs or something. I can't remember exactly. But it's something not, you know, he, he resents homosexuals and. And I play the lover of Jared Leto's character, who's a transsexual, and we're obsessed with T Rex. And I read the script, and you know I I like the obsessed with T Rex. Yeah, well, I mean that was what (laughs) that was what made me say yes. Yeah, T Rex. Yeah, because I I love that. I genuinely am obsessed with with Mark Bowen, and and I just have you ever ever met Visconti? You um, know, know, I've I've spoken with Visconti's people. Yeah,
0: you and him should talk. He's a great guy. I
1: think he'd be really fun to work with. I've had friends Mm. that have worked with him. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah! I've always, I've always wanted that door to be open in the future. You yeah, know, you like, should,
0: I mean, that'd be, it'd be great. I mean, we see, I think he, he I, he'd think he'd totally understands. I'm really a big from.
1: fan of the stuff he did with Sparks.
0: And, yeah. And, oh, yeah, the Sparks stuff too. Yeah. Is, I mean, I, what's your favorite Sparks here? Like, this town he big enough for both of us, or later? Stuff well, I, beat the was, the I guess I'm,
1: I'm sentimental <laughs> for Kimono my house because yeah. it was the first. I found that. It, see, this is what I'm saying. I found it in a thrift store in Marietta for twenty-five cents. And what a great album that is! And it just, <laughs> I got it around Thanksgiving of my. 17th or 18th year on earth, and uh, it was just one of those things. I picked it up, I was like, I like the color of the green, the green, the green color, and then, and then with the Japanese like, women on the yeah, cover, and the yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know what to make of it. It didn't look like something I'd really like. It and looked, you're like, What is this? It's kind of it looks very kind of like cheap trick or something, yeah.
0: You thought of Budokan, you know, kind yeah, of yeah, it like kind that. of
1: has that weird, like, kind of graphic, uh, 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 lit, it's lit in this very 70s sort of like cheap trick, like, uh, pub rock kind of yeah. way. But I bought it uh, for 25 cents, because they had some weird lyrics on the yeah. lyric sheet. I was like, these lyrics are very abstract. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, my old brothers were just cool. They were so they different. They were so different, <laughs> you know?
1: yeah. But I think the album <laughs> of theirs I listened to the most is probably, you know, you know, it's hard to say. The one, the first two that were produced by, or the first one that was produced by Todd Rundgren it was very good. Yeah. But, uh, Wolfer and Tweeter's Clothing. Yeah.
0: What a great title.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and then, I mean, all their double entendres. But, you know, I got really into the Visconti produced ones. Um, yeah. Or there may have just been one. I think it was called Indiscreet. If yeah. If I'm not mistaken. It's a great one. And that,
0: you know. Speaking of Visconti, he's has you... these huge arrangements. Is Mick Rocky you been. You've done some stuff with Oh, yeah. Twism. Mick is a
1: good friend. And uh, he was introduced to me by several friends who, more... who saw a. Yeah. That he
0: would understand. He would yeah. Get, yeah. Mick's a lovely man, isn't he? Yeah. He, Darling. He, he refers <laughs> to me as erotic.
1: <laughs> he calls me his erotic space insect. One of my
0: favorite moments is me and Mick Rock, Visconti, and Bowie sitting listening to Heathen together. And actually even an Wow. Dinner. You know, like, uh, but that's for a whole nother time. That's when you, when you and I hang out, I got some great stories that, to tell I, you.
1: I bet you have, like, I mean, I bet, uh, when when's your, you need to write a book.
0: Yeah. I, in fact, I'm working on that right now. I mean, because there's
1: too many of those wild experiences to
0: not share. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But you don't want to be like you know. I don't want to also be the dirtiest guy, guy. Like I, I don't want to be the guy who like Truman I, Capote. I, yeah, I don't want to burn any of my friends. That's what I. Yeah, that's do. the Truman Capote. So thing, there's right? you know there's a fine line, and that's the difference with the book. It's going to be stuff that my friends are cool with. Yeah, but it's still funny and interesting. So. I've,
1: I somebody <laughs> asked me once to write a book. Uh, actually, a, a bigger publisher wanted me to write a memoir. It sounded like a really interesting idea for about five minutes until I realized how much trouble I would get myself and all my friends into if I wrote anything interesting.
0: Yeah, because yeah. that's the main thing. It's like you just you want to make sure that you don't burn your friends, and that's, always, yeah, and and that's a fine line always, of life. You know? The
1: truth is always going to burn people. What makes me wonder is how much... You know, and all the rock and roll mythology that we know about—you know, Ricky Nelson, Buddy Holly, yeah, you know, Kenneth Anger—that whole yeah, like Hollywood this, Babylon, right? Yeah, yeah. It's that sort of rock and roll <laughs> Babylon. In Nashville too, you know, Carter Family, and uh, yeah, there's and always so there's much always there. this like back back room stuff, and it's like what we know is mythology. Uh, how much of it's true? How much of it's invented? How much of it is? how much of
0: the real stuff that we haven't heard is even more out out there
1: yeah because a lot of times people (laughs) I I know myself I would never speak ill of even some of my enemies yeah I would rather just not even go there yeah I'm the same way I think I believe
0: it's you know it just you don't need to bring that on but I uh you know, I wanted to talk about the new record as well. Yeah, yeah, let's Monomania, do that. Monomania, which I,
1: I, I, can, we can, I can Yeah, you and on. I
0: could rock. We, we could talk <laughs> about so many different things for a long time, and we will obviously get the chance to do that Absolutely. in the future because I really enjoy talking to you about it. Tell me about the title of Monomania. Now, I know the fact we were mentioning that, you know, you're almost completely deaf in one ear, and in the other ear you're very sharp. And, you know, my mother is the same thing. My mother's deaf in one ear and, you know, has hearing in the other ear. Um, always, so it makes a sharpness. Yeah. But working as a musician and a person who's creating music the way that you do and have, you know, for so long, Bradford, that makes it sharper, but you kind of fine tune to that one ear. Tell me how that affects the way that you record and mix and create.
1: Well, I, I can tell you a very boring way is that <laughs> I tend to put the brighter instruments on the dull ear. Yeah. And I tend to mix, if I'm mixing in stereo, I tend to mix the things I want to hear, I mix them into the left channel because that's my better ear. You know, and I've noticed this about myself, so I've started, like, covering my left ear and trying to, like... Or moving my left ear to the right speaker, and, and I've tried different techniques. Um, the, You know, what makes this interesting, I guess, is that the original concept of monomania... I mean, I get the word from H.P. Lovecraft's story called The Tomb. Yeah. About this guy who falls in love with this... And Ance- he moves into a Victorian home that's been occupied since his an- that's oh, it goes all the way to, through his ancestry, and it has a family crypt, a tomb. Yeah, under it's hidden under a garden, and he discovers this tomb, and he becomes obsessed with it. And he has to sleep; he can't sleep unless he sleeps there. And then you know it becomes this psychosis, and you know this necrophilia and all this. But it becomes you know it's just a typical HP Lovecraft story, but you know. The guy becomes consumed by this obsession about this tomb, and the doctor comes in and he says, "Well, the boy has monomania." You know, and I thought, "What a title, monomania!" just sounds to me like a rock and roll album title. You know, it does, I mean, and it also sounds
0: like it could, <coughs> so many different meanings could come of it. Yeah,
1: and well, and, and, and a lot of the ones that people I think would probably assume immediately
0: would be like mono, the sound of mono. Well, like mixing that's, in and mono. of course, the first thing
1: I thought was. <laughs> We make the new album. It's going to be called Monomania.
0: People are going to be listening going, We're, We're going to mix it
1: in mono. Yeah. I did. I mean, that was the idea. I wanted to record in mono. I mean, yeah. you know, Billy Childish. Yeah. The, the Head Cody's. Yeah. And, yeah. How do you say it? As yeah. you said, you know, yeah. yeah, but it was those things. But then, where, like, you know, a lot, of, and the milkshakes and all that
0: stuff. When I was growing up, I was really into that kind of primitive. Where they wanted to record. And you mentioned earlier during this interview that. Talking about wanting to record the acetate in that way that the blues well, that guys was, did.
1: Even on this record, I was wanting to visit that. I, I wanted to record a mono recording of Night Bike onto an Ampex like Alan Lomax did. Yeah, and Which actually record. You know, admittedly, and- it's a very white and bourgeois, like, let's struggle for authenticity by exploiting the limitations of the past. I mean, yeah. I'm super self-aware of that, but- at the same time I just want to make something that sounds cool and I don't care if it's pretentious or bourgeois
0: right I mean, because recording to an acetate like that knowing that the acetate can only play well for like 10 plays 10 plays and yeah. then it starts well, to and disintegrate Well my idea was I wanted to bury
1: the acetate. I wanted the sound to basically be just. You me bury like b- bury it and then b- dig it up again kind of thing. Bury let, it for about 3 weeks and let, you know, the minerals and stuff happen. And That would be insane sounding. Well that's what I was going for but you know um <laughs> some Reason my wilder ideas always get reined in by either time constraints or things like that. Yeah,
0: our Moses and and Lockett, those guys are always cool with those ideas. Oh, Lockett and Moses are, are
1: well, the big change (laughs) in the band, frankly speaking, and you know, is that we've had some lineup change and Joshua Favre, who was with us for a very long time. Is no longer with the group. He's decided to focus more on his personal life, and um, he doesn't want to tour. And I think that that's good. We're still friends. We have good feelings, and, and all blah 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 blah. It's very. Uh, there was no fight. You know, there was there was no fight. I'm, I think a lot of people have some misconceptions about that. You know, there was Deer Hunter is not a band that has ever not had tension. We we've, we've always had tensions. Yeah, but they're the kind that are more. Intricate and abstract and just like, you know, you slept with somebody's girlfriend or this or that. Some These kind of trivial. It's not that kind of it's thing. It's more like, yeah, it's more like um, we're just all weird people, you know. As but are we all. I, yeah, it's <laughs> when you get these weird people in a room, it's like a concentrated form of weirdness. Yeah. And um, there were times recently uh, around Health Sound Digest where I felt like, Everybody basically expected me to write the whole album. A lot of the band members had gone and gotten married and bought houses and sort of, and I still lived in this very squatty punk house by choice. So, I mean, it got to the point where it's like, okay, well, it's time to do Halcyon Digest. Where's everybody, what have you guys got? You know, we have always kind of written apart and then come together and shared ideas. And it was sort of like, oh, well, we have all of my ideas. That's and Lockett has two songs. So. I'm not criticizing anybody's process because, you know, Lockett, his one song on that album, Desire Lines, is my favorite. It's the only Dierner song that I can consistently listen to. It's a great song. And, I mean, I think it's a genius song, and I think he really tapped into something there. Helicopter,
0: too, you know, there's so many. Yeah, see, I hate that song. You don't like a do my I'm my word. Were you my upset wor- that people I, focused on that then? That I
1: point? think that if I have, like, one strength in the world it's decisiveness yeah and if i have one weakness this sounds like a job interview where i'm trying to like make (laughs) myself sound good but it's the total truth yeah i it's not that i consider myself to have a low ego yeah it's that i consider myself to hate my work passionately is it because you look
0: back at it and you like it's just one of those things where it's at the moment you don't want to
1: see the picture of you in high school with braces you know i know what you mean and
0: every and every song is you know i mean i know what you mean it's a it's something
1: that comes from from within. So it's, and
0: helicopter is just
1: so precious to me now. It's so like no one cares for me. You know, like it's just so. Uh, I don't know exactly how to. I just don't feel that way anymore.
0: I um, mean, and, and you know, that's what you know. You remember Louis talking about Transformer, and he looks at it and says, "You know, it's a moment in time for me." He goes, "I'm not there anymore. That's not me." Although it's. Like a picture, a moment of that time. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure that, everyone you know? feels that way. And <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's the weirdness of music is having, you know, and, and especially when you get to the point where you're seeing bands that are going back and revisiting classic albums and stuff. Yeah, it's really awkward sometimes. Yeah, because I mean, that's what see, sh- like Kim is doing it with the Breeders. Yeah, that's fine because Kim and Kelly.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: They've been through a lot, but they're the same people that they were when they made that record, right. and not in a bad way. They're the same. They were always friendly and unpretentious, and they remain that way. Yeah. And they remain in that mindset of giggling their way through it and sort of, like, not taking They They have that sort of Nashville or Carter family, like, humbleness that I really appreciate, Yeah, which is like, oh, okay, I'll just play this song. They know how good their music is, and they know that people are getting a real kick out of it, but they don't make it all about them and it, their yeah. legacy, all yeah. this sort of sort That's of stuff. what's cool about them.
0: This is The Hivecast with Matt Pinfield.
1: Going into monomania, back to that record, yeah. like, it was a weird year. I went through some personal
0: stuff. Which, what kind of things were, I mean, are they things you would talk about? Well,
1: in or? the past, I would talk about them. I would probably take, like, you know, five or six out of vans and down a couple of beers and then go on Sirius XM and make a fool of myself. But, you know, I mean, those days are behind me. And, uh, you know, now I'm trying to, I'm learning, I'm learning to have boundaries and stuff, you know, but uh, I did, I had some personal stuff going on last year. Um, The kind of things that most people go through when they're in high school, but I, I was kind of robbed of that period of my life because of surgeries and comas and children's hospitals. And uh, so, you know, I didn't get the proper training of uh, when to know somebody's taking advantage of you or somebody's.
0: And you're talking about like a lot of times some journalists in general. Oh, no, I'm talking about
1: ex-boyfriend.
0: Oh, okay. I see. But
1: yeah. uh,
0: Those things make you vulnerable. They do. I mean, you get involved it in would relationships. Be, it would, and, I think it would you know, be. It would I know be, from my past breakups and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, know? I've
1: never been in a relationship before this. And, I mean, I doubt that would will be in a, I mean, I'm sort of like the man who fell to earth. Yeah, I know it sort of seems self-mythologizing, but it's not exactly something I'm proud of, or would, it's not very pleasant, you know. Yeah, I would like see p- people just group off into couples and buy houses and do all this, you know, have kids and yada 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 yada. Yeah, I get the vol. Get, I mean, I have the Volvo. I know how you. I have the house. It. Yeah, I have the. You know, like I don't have the anyone to share it with, though. You know, and that's weird. But you know, that sounds all weepy, and I don't mean to sound that way because this album was written out of hatred and anger. And uh, I think that that really... It was
0: therapeutic in a sense, though, at the time. Cathartic, yeah. Yeah, Very cathartic.
1: And it was written over the course of the the disastrous... uh, The end of the relationship, right? I wouldn't even call it a relationship. I was just very taken advantage of and mistreated. And uh, I was seen as an opportunity.
0: And... uh, I I understand what that feels like. I know. Yeah. I can relate.
1: Well, those who have suffered... Understand suffering and thereby extend their hand. Patty Smith. Yes, you know that's been my mantra for life. If I ever were to get a tattoo, it would either be a circle that said Ricky, yeah, or Ricky Nelson and Ricky Wilson, yeah, or it would Both be <laughs> it would be a circle that says Mama, yeah, or it would be the Patty Smith quote, yeah. Like I, my sister says, it's biblical or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, Patty pulls from so many different great places. Over yeah, Patty.
1: She's a real, you know, in fact, through some weird fate or whatever, Patty figures into the Monomania story and that um I met her on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago when I was writing this record when I was going through this horrible time in my life, which I had never experienced such horror and shock and to have someone that you trusted and then they turn out to be the complete opposite of what they said they were. It was horrifying. You know, I don't want to go into too much detail because... But I understand But But uh, the point was, it was so hurtful. And I really got put in my place. Because I might have been hurtful to a lot of people over the years. Not in that way, but in being bossy or being crazy and unpredictable. And sort of, you know, I, I probably hurt people's feelings and don't realize it. And so, I mean, I think it's important to be put into you need to, like, you know, understand what it's like to be ripped up, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely has an effect on you. You think about different things. What was the Patty meeting like for you, though? Did you get she to talk to her She said something
1: all? to me, Very, and I don't know, you know, if she just is constantly uh, just sweating wisdom out, you know, just, like, body odor or something. But it, she said, uh, never take less than your worth. I don't think she was aware of my work or anything, or me, and she just saw me, I think, as a a fragile dude. And uh, I don't know if my friend who introduced this had said anything about my situation, but she seemed to just shoot laser beams of hope. And she reminded me of why I do this, and why I'm doing, you know, what this means, you know. What punk can do, what kind of medicine it can be for such things as monomania. Yeah. yeah,
0: and that's why one of the things that came through. You go back and listen to a lot of those records. I know, like, you know, I was... The other day, I was uh, I listened to Pissing in a River from Radio Ethiopia, oh. which is one of my favorites.
1: Radio Ethiopia itself, just that it's noise. It's an underrated
0: record, isn't it? Like, Ain't It Strange, pumping yeah. My Heart, and Ask the Angels. Those songs are great. Hobbies. I think that whole
1: yeah. record is just phenomenal. And the artwork and the, the lyrics. The
0: build of Pissing in a River yeah. just kills me. I mean, I just want to... The way that song builds and starts... Hard to believe it was actually a single in like Holland. I, I mean, love yeah, the fact that yeah. it was a single competition. You know, I I remember, last time I, I had the in, seven inch. So. La- oh, I, I, I
1: got in Amsterdam a yeah. couple of, a couple of uh, months ago. Wow. I, that's cool. I was in Amsterdam and I was some guy that was in some. Dutch post punk band sold his entire seven inch collection to you and to a record store. And the day that he did it, I walked in and you found and the SC the- Angels pissing Oh, the River They were single? pricing stuff. I literally had to ship like five boxes of seven inches home. It was just like every it was I can just, only imagine, man. It was like, it was just like, in, I mean, I've, I've never felt like that. It was like, it was like stumbling into like, uh, you know, what other cool things did
0: you get? I gotta ask you.
1: Mo- I mean, all the monochrome set. Singles or cool. swell map singles. Um, you know, the associates
0: uh Yeah, like the affectionate punch and things yeah, like Club Country. I got um Party Fears two I love. Party Fears Two is Genius. my favorite, yeah. Yeah.
1: And um <laughs> you <know>? some weird <laughs> stuff like Anthony Moore. Yeah. Um Eno, Seven yeah. Deadly fins Wow well, uh, Which I've never seen the actual forty five. Isn't
0: it weird like there's those those Holland singles from Holland from Germany? Denmark, well, they have stuff that didn't come out here on singles. Yeah, There's and England it's, you know, it's pretty like Hanse Records, like Japan, and all these other.
1: Things, and they always so. have the the center hole, yeah, where full. you can punch it out. Yeah, but you know what's great is I found some great Star Day Country and Sanford Clark, and uh, musically speaking, like the Diet. Uh, I I have a hard time explaining my influences because a lot of people say, "Oh, well, if you were listening to a lot of this." If you're listening to a lot of Bo Diddley, then we'll expect to hear a Bo Diddley homage on your album. Or a beat, or like that kind of... And it's sort of like, well, no. I listened to Bo Diddley exclusively for a summer. And I learned from it. But what I learned from it wasn't how to imitate it. It was just Bo Diddley is like a, a pope or something. Yeah. you know, And he really represents such a great attitude about music and art and such a positive you know he didn't get his due and he might have been you know sore about it but he never lost his dignity he was Bo Diddley and he always will be Bo Diddley and to me at my lowest points in my life my dad literally I'll call my dad if I said dad I feel so sick I feel so low I feel so down he says well go get your Bo Diddley records out Said this to me last week because so I felt real down. I was sick. I had bronchitis, and I didn't think I was gonna be able to come up here and do this show. And... I'm glad you did. I appreciate. it. Yeah, and, but and like I didn't think I was gonna be able to do any. You know, I, I was very ill. I get very ill. I, since I was a child, I've had acute bronchitis, and every when the t- seasons change, it gets especially bad. But um, I you know, and it depresses me to be ill because it reminds me of a lot of other things. And um, but yeah, my dad said get get out your Bo Diddley records. But so. I had a lot of influences that, that were going into this record, you know, and I don't think you, it's not that you could necessarily, I mean, you know, hear them. I mean, the record doesn't have a 1920s, like yeah. Delta blues vibe. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the Carter family. I was listening to a lot of like compilations of, of 78s that my friend Lance, who runs a label called Dusted Digital. Yeah. He puts out some fantastic um, surveys of, yeah. of different types there's a collector, Steve Rogan, I believe his name is. He's in Steve Los Rodin. Angeles. Yeah, Steve Rogan. And he he put together an amazing book and two C D set on Dusty Digital called I Listen to the Wind that Obliterates My Traces. And which is a great title, by it the way. is a fantastic title, but it's like the title of your first Atlas sound record, which is sort so of so like much. long yeah, yeah. and biblical. But so. very cool, yes, exactly. That's why I love that. <laughs> I was you know? well I was just, I fell in love with this one, the this book and record thing, because it's all about these like haunted vernacular photographs yes. and musics. I hate it when people say musics; it sounds so like academic. But it's I meant I meant to say music. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. I hope so.
1: And uh. But it was. It's just great really con- haunted. It's real, real
0: haunted. And you can hear it in the sound.
1: Oh yeah. Lord! And, and you know if it was if it was like it's just that, I've been really obsessed with seventy eight. I started finding some of them on my own. You know, I can't afford to go out and buy like a. Do you have a player that plays? Oh yeah, 80, I have yeah. a
0: Victrola type thing. Yeah, yeah it's and amazing. I, you know, it's crazy. The hardest thing with those things is the needles. finding a needle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, like replacing the needles and finding a place. Well, it's a lot like mm-hmm.
1: acetates. Once you played it a few times, yeah, I know that. You know, but I'm really interested in, pre- it's like we were talking about earlier, I, I, I'm really interested in preservation. Yeah, I, I agree with I, I really would like to set up a, like a studio to preserve acetates and 78s and things. That, that's a great project for you to do maybe
0: when, you know, in between album cycles or yeah, something.
1: Yeah, like well, it, I've, you know, there's so many people out there that do such a great job at it that I would not even know where to begin to contribute. But who, but yeah, but uh,
0: who knows where, who to
1: say. I mean, you should just do it. I mean, like, Just to and... Digital have such a fantastic track record. Yeah. Their transfers are... Superior to any other, Mississippi Records is absolutely fantastic at curation. They really know how to make a narrative out of disjointed old pieces of music and make it have a real effect. You know, almost as if you you know you finished a great novel or something. Yeah, Um, document. You know, I have mixed feelings about them, but you know they they put out so many great. You know, if you want to, if you just want to hear a survey of. Georgia gospel music from the 1920s to 1930s you know
0: it's cool i mean they're going
1: to have it and they're going to be able, you know you're going to be able to hear good examples and the you know although the mastering is off it's
0: it's you can still hear the mastering. yeah
1: you still it? it's, the great thing is when music can overcome the limitations and circumstances of the, the sound and technology yeah.
0: mastering anything can i ask you about a few songs on the record and we can just Yeah to? yeah
1: cuz yeah,
0: i yeah. i i'm sitting here talking about I mean, like because I, I mean, there's so many songs on the album I love, it. but let's talk about
1: Black Agent. That's one of the things. Oh, that, Blue right? Agent, yeah. Blue Agent, I mean, I'm well, sorry. Which is originally, well, it's okay, because yeah. it was originally called Cerulean Agent. Yeah. In fact, I consider that song I'm to be sorry. kind of, un- no, no, not, yeah. I consider <laughs> really. that song to be kind of untitled.
0: Really? I don't yes. really
1: like Blue Agent. I don't really like Cerulean. I, I didn't know what exactly to name that song, so it just ended up being called, you have to have, a, you know, at a certain yeah. point, there's a deadline, you gotta yeah. name it. So the working title was Cerulean Agent, yeah. But I thought, you know, it's just like halcyon digest. A lot of people had a hard time saying halcyon and I think people think I try to use like twenty five cent words, yeah. you know? And it's like or like you know what I mean? Yeah. People, and it's like I'm not going for that, you know? But it was meant to be this sort of noir thing.
0: Do you like film noir? Do you ever watch like You old know, I like it, but I'm not movies? I'm not smart about it. Like I don't I don't I mean if you see one you'll you'll recognise it it's film noir and you'll you yeah, know, like like, a Robert like, Mitchum movie or something with like Glenn Ford or somebody. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the concept.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it almost talks, it goes with the noir thing, especially in all those great classic films, has a lot to do with what you're talking about with working with the, in the limitations because a lot of times the budgets weren't huge on those films. And oh, yeah. lighting was not what it is today, so they made a lot of use of shadows and darkness and, you yeah, well, know, And with black and white, shadows and darkness... Black and white is a lot
1: like the Ramones, you know? Yeah. Or like... Uh, like the fir- and the cover of the first Or like uh, the Everly Brothers. It's yeah. like you have a guitar, another guitar, a vocal, another vocal. You have four elements. Make it sound good. You know? The Ramones, you have one guitar track, one bass track. One vocal, one drum one track. One vocal and one drum track. And, you know, why can't you record like that now?
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, why do- does
1: everything have to be punched in? Why does everything have to be... Triple tracked, and I'm guilty of it as well because it's sometimes I mean, my mind's just like this doesn't sound finished because it doesn't have 300 yeah. overdubs, you know. And, um, but you know, I think black and white, you don't have this longing to cinematography is something I've been thinking about lately, so we should probably not talk about yeah. it, yeah. Well, because I, mean, I'll I go I find a weird thing. Well, there's
0: a documentary recently,
1: as really, well that was done on you. Correct, have you was ever read um Robert Brisson's notes on cinematography? No, I haven't actually, Tell it's really trippy. It's well. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it. It's it's, so it's a really strange per, yeah. book, but it's just sort of like, you know, everything that we l- believe about cinematography. What whenever and you know we kind of em- debunks it. Is that what it is? It's sort of just like I'm, I'm tired of things that are so, like, artificially beautiful. Yeah. You look at a Todd Solondz movie, and the cinematography might be very flat, but it's so much more,
0: more real I mean. em- emotionally affecting, I think, because yeah. of that. Pensacola, can you tell me about that track?
1: Oh, well, we can talk about Blue Agent.
0: You want to talk Blue Agent again? Yeah, well, we, I, well, I never, we we're getting there. Yeah, we're yeah, we talking about, about this song. Yeah, I
1: want to finish that event. Well, cool. specifically, what would you like to know?
0: Um, with the song Blue Agent, I mean, just tell me inspirationally where, the, where lyrically that well, one comes from.
1: I here's my regular form letter preface to all, all right. conversations about songs. I write them all... Um, Basically, I I go and do my day, you know, I spend the day doing whatever it is I do. Then I usually go eat dinner around nine or something, and then, uh, especially in the summer if I'm off tour or something. Last year, I had a lot of free time. I took time to write and stuff. So, I would go to No Town, which is our building. It's like our art space. It's just us. And it's out, sort of, on a town square, and it's deserted at night, and so... I'll basically go there and just start, you know, making up songs. And when I say that, I mean, like, literally, I just go there and see what happens. And um, it's really not premeditated at all. And a lot of times it's complete garbage that I come up with. It's just, like, sounds like bad wire b-sides in a really bad way. But you like wire, though, right? I like
0: wire. Map uh, references. I, I like
1: yeah. pink flag.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you like you like dot Dash, you know that single.
1: It's oh, all right. Yeah. Dot Dash is a little annoying
0: because of the uh, repetitive course you mean Are you talking about- I don't know. I just find that like- song
1: to be yeah. annoying. And I find like some other demos to be annoying. Why have you
0: heard a lot of demo stuff too?
1: Oh, yeah, like Mary is a Dyke. and like do you like the later stuff? Like, it's like stuff. I don't like the
0: cock
1: like it's just like, oh, damn. you know you it's know just- I, I want
0: to tell you a funny story in the world. I was interviewing Colin Newman years ago. oh, yeah, and I he would he'd come to my radio show on the Jersey Shore. and I asked him, what he thought about his solo stuff being used in Silence of the Lambs. And he says, well, I don't know because I don't like scary movies, so I never went to see it. Like, really? He, he wouldn't go see Silence of the Lambs, even though in those really crazy scenes with like, you know, with a guy who had the the woman down in the air or the guy down in the- hole, That was Colin That was Newman. Colin Newman's solo music. And he had, he said he refused to go see the movie because he didn't like anything that That's abrasive. You know, that, that movie
1: was the first time <laughs> that I ever heard The Fall.
0: I know, not <laughs> it? Isn't that cool? As
1: a nine-year-old boy, I heard The Fall hit Priest, and I said, I don't know what the hell that music is it's playing, yeah, but it sounds like it's from hell. Yeah. And I need yeah they Yeah,
0: whoever did music supervision on a movie did a good job. Well, but they exposed a lot of little
1: it. children to The Fall, and some of us- Marky e.
0: Smith, I'm sure, is very thankful.
1: Uh, no, that. I doubt Marky e. Smith is thankful to anyone for anything. Yeah, yeah you're probably- But right. I think that, you know, I mean, I don't know. That kind of might have maybe been a big- impact on my life, you know, hearing yeah. Hit Priest in the context yeah. of that movie. Yeah. Um well Blue Agent is very much I, I was thinking of and I was listening to the night I wrote it. Uh, I can't tell you as much about what it is or what it's about, but I can tell you what I was listening to. It's almost like you can look at the owl pellet and see what it yeah. was eating. It sort yeah. of it doesn't really tell you much about yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, I was I was listening to Gary Newman and I was listening
0: to um by the way, I love you for that because uh, those early records are phenomenal. Repl- oh my- replicas and the White Album. The White Album with the head on it. With oh, there's so I love those fantastic. records. They're, yeah. t- they're some of my favorite. Well, favorites. and
1: Lockin and I were. Our original idea was that we wanted to make this record Rocket to Russia meets, uh, you know, Replicas or the Pleasure
0: Principle. Pleasure, pleasure Principle, principle yeah. Or even, you know, we even wanted Telecom to. Telecom it, had its moments. We wanted too.
1: to, you know, the thing that I think those albums have in common is its minimalness. Yeah. You know, the Ramones have chainsaw guitars. Gary Newman has synthesizers, but uh, the uh, rhythm, the drum and bass are the same kind of
0: yeah amazing. And, and the Newman songs can work in so many different contexts. If you listen to Replicas, I mean, it's one of my yeah. It's an incredible album.
1: But he's also got this <laughs> just this thing when he sings yeah. And it is I mean, da, da, our friend's da, electric. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. What,
0: what are your favorite tracks on that record? I'd I love the whole thing. Oh, I don't even know where to begin. Me, I, I disconnect mean, from. You, I think and...
1: Complex is one of the saddest. Oh, oh yeah. And most. Unusual, song, especially to be chosen as a follow up. Yeah, it was a single follow up to Cars, which was, a bit, I mean, career disaster. I mean, that completely derailed him for a
0: long time. Yeah, I mean, he had two number ones before that. And that, that with... makes
1: me, you know, really happy to be operating in the type of music business that I operate in. Although it's in shambles and nobody knows what is going on at all. Yeah, everybody's just like, "Do I even have a job? what, what is it that I do for a living?" You know, like it's a completely random industry now. But at least it's not the kind of industry where careers are made or broken by one single not being accepted. Well, you know I, what I mean? Yeah.
0: I mean, because he did. I mean, like, we don't
1: even have singles. I mean, like, Deer yeah. Hunter, it's like, oh, you know, the new Deer Hunter single this week, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, can you imagine that? It's like, no, it's like we make albums and yeah. we play shows and it's like we're more of a whole just, like, thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, you know, pop music is like, well, you're only as good as your last single. It's just such a sad, it's like, a, it's like,
0: whores you know somebody said it best to me years ago they said you know pop radio and pop music is not a place that you live it's a place that you visit and is that uh, you know I
1: mean? that's place. one of the absolute best quotes i've ever heard about the music industry <laughs> yeah it's true. but you, you know, know the thing but you know complex well it was it was beautiful to and to me sad. is the most ha- it's Two it's verses. absolutely the best song <laughs> yeah. on that album. It sounds like uh, it reminds. I can never separate it because of the violin.
0: I like M.E. too on that
1: record. Oh, M.E. is uh, Lockett's favorite song of yeah, all time. It's one of the greats. Um, complex. It reminds me of Roxy music, off of Siren.
0: What, like you mean a sentimental fool like the builder? No, art, the, it
1: reminds you of the song. Uh, there's
0: a lot of beautiful ones on there. There's, there's the end ones of the with the line... violin,
1: the violin. End of the line, maybe. End of the line. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Do you believe we know these things? It's like, well, it's, you know, see, it's that's why uh, we <laughs> listen to. Go home and listen to "End of the Line" and then yeah. the complex, and tell me they were not informed. Uh, I think I'm sure you
0: know. Gary was listening. Definitely to oh, Roxy. Yeah. Well, Roxy. And at the is, right age for Siren, because Siren's a great album and very underrated, I it think. It is
1: extremely underrated. End of the line is one of the most amazing songs I've ever
0: heard. I mean, and even like just another high, the last song on the record, just that Oh vocal, yeah. yeah. I love very it. Very
1: bizarre. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but cool. Yeah.
1: They had the weirdest ideas, that band. And you know, <laughs> it's funny we should bring Roxy music back up because Parallax, the last out was sound album. Your that, solo record, yeah. That was that was my Roxy music record. Yeah. And a great record. Parallax yeah. is cool. I, I was really, I was modeled it, like, I modeled Parallax after uh, "For Your Pleasure." Yeah, which my is, favorite rock and music. Right which now. is
0: just one of the. The greats. end,
1: especially, is just sort of like, yeah, like almost demonic.
0: Yeah, and uh, how about in "Every Dream Home a Heartache"? How like there's oh, a story behind like, that song? Do you know this st- the story that the music was written and there was nothing else at the time? It was an instrumental, and then Brian Ferry left and came back to Chris Thomas and the, and those guys, and just um, he had the words. He goes, it went from being this. Incredibly crazy instrumental to this song about a blow up doll, <laughs> it was which just is such great. a
1: very, it's such a it's, such it's
0: a, brilliant, very clever, yeah. He was they were
1: clever without being cloying,
0: yeah, know? exactly. What a great band!
1: So, Blue Agent sort of is a noir song, yeah. It's sort of a science fiction, it's a little bit of a throwback to the parallax. Um, I might have still been in that like parallaxy, like zone of like science fiction, I call it, but you yeah. know, a lot of people are like, What exactly is the science fiction element? I'm like. Just trust me. It's science yeah. fiction. I don't know why it is. It's, it's like, you know, it's like Chris Spedding, you know, yeah. that kind of like guitar graffiti, like it's sort of just rockabilly sci fi. Spedding had some
0: great records. Yeah. He of, did. Hurt by Love, Hurt, that's a, oh, is, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. awesome, you know?
0: That's well, I mean, it, so. I mean, and the stuff he played on other people's records is- yeah, obviously like The Pistols was one. <laughs> you know, but he played? I on... never
1: liked the Sex Pistols.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying he played on those yeah. records, but he played on a lot of people's records back then. He was a What do co- you well...
1: think of the Sex Pistols? I always thought they were just
0: garbage. I, I, you know, I actually liked them. I did. I you know because because of maybe our age difference, when I first heard God Save the Queen anarchy, it was so loud. Yeah. It was like when I first heard The Ramones. I loved it because but it was see, such to an me, the assault, Ramones I, you connect know. connect
1: to a history and they actually have a little bit of respect for their elders. Whereas his sex pistols, I guess I was just raised with this. I get so bored with yeah. all this. Like, we have no respect for our elders. We don't care about our elders. I think that Malcolm you
0: know. McLaren played up more of that than anybody. Because here is the interesting thing about that: when you go back about Johnny Rotten and Johnny Lydon, he Well, just, yeah, Public Enemy, yeah, and, know, not Keith only, Levine. Not only and that, Dub but he, and, but you'll appreciate this. Johnny Lydon actually wrote the liner notes for the first Alice Cooper box set. He paid oh, homage it, yeah, yeah. to the fact that he got his audition by singing I'm, I'm 18 from that yeah. jukebox. And the fact that he showed his love, because I love that Love It to Death Alice Cooper record from 71. Um, I think a lot of times that was really played up and it was part of Malcolm's and their whole thing and just in general. Because it was such a different time. Well, it was a but marketing, marketing love, a, but still it's yeah. sort of... Yeah, you know, you know, the Ramones know? definitely paid respect to their I elders. Just, I
1: mean, it would have been cool if the Pistols covered Alice Cooper. Like, the yeah. Ramones covered the Beach Boys. Yeah. The Ramones like covered Jackie to Shannon. Yeah. And, and, you know. And, well, they were, and how
0: about, and they, you know what was a great, I remember sitting talking to Joey about all the stuff that they were going to cover on that Acid Eaters album because, you know, like psychotic reactions. Like just all the time has come today. Those uh, 60s classic. Brothers, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a great track?
1: It's always been one of those songs that just instantly. The minute you hear it, you're like, wow. The cowbell comes in. Yeah,
0: yeah, coo coo. Ah, yeah, it's genius. Ah, and then there's a long version, and even even the edit of the single is cool.
1: Extremely stoned. Yeah, I was in the back of a Honda Civic. Yeah. In hey, Marietta, Georgia, driving past the It's funny Lyons you mention Marietta
0: because you know, I, I've been there before, too. I was doing something with one of the a
1: great little kind
0: little, And there's like a big like R&B scene there, too, right? Like that's so, so different. Well, uh, Atlanta's
1: whatever. sort of, yeah. I mean, Atlanta's <laughs> definitely well more known for its rap yeah. than uh, yeah. Black Lips or Dear Heart.
0: yeah. But I still love Black Ips and Deer Hunter. That's my favorite stuff out of, oh, out of Atlanta. You know what I mean? And I finally got to meet the Black Lips guys at Lollapalooza a few well, Cole, years ago.
1: Yeah, Cole's my brother, man. I mean, I all love- of them, you know, they're all my brothers. Yeah. But
0: Cole and I... Did you tell him I said hello? Or did- I
1: absolutely... Well, yeah, Cole's uh, one of the only people that I can honestly say that I relate to pretty much all the time, except for when he's partying. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have that part of the brain. Yeah, no, I understand. Girls, yeah. alcohol, these things mean nothing. To yeah, me. <laughs> it's cool, yeah. though. But, like, you know, yeah. he sends me, like, a weird Harry Smith unreleased fifth volume of Oh, the, he'll find
0: Harry Smith stuff, huh? Huh?
1: He'll find, like, a compilation of all the- Well, apparently there was, like, a fourth and fifth volume of, you know, the anthology of American cult uh, yeah. music. I mean, the fourth volume, I think, is pretty legit. Yeah. It had, like- family. Like, yeah, and you know
0: that David Johansson named that sideband he had after that. It was David Johansson and the Harry Smiths. I didn't know that. Yeah, he had this like thing that he was doing. Where well, I found out something yeah. totally really <laughs> you know, weird, which that? was
1: that the hotel that I always stay at, I, I only ever stay in one room in New York City. Which one one, hotel, what hotel was it? The Ace Hotel. Okay. And I only stay in one room, and I came to find out that that was Harry Smith's. Studio where he put together the anthology of American folk music. Really, which is so bizarre because my number one—I have a Bose. It's very bourgeois, but I—I I travel with like a Bose sound doc. Yeah, you know, because I'm like a music obsessed, and you gotta
0: listen to music. You gotta—I have
1: to constantly have music. going. Yeah, and
0: yeah, I understand that, and, and it's the most convenient way to travel. And the
1: number one constantly—if I just—if I don't—if I'm not in the mood for anything, the number one thing that I will put on my my thing is the anthology of American folk music. You know, Doc Boggs. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> so I, much cool stuff so on those. So, Clarence bodies. Ashley. I mean,
0: you know. If you listen to John Jake Niles and, uh, uh, you you know, know, and that little, stuff. He's a little
1: eccentric. He country. is
0: extremely eccentric. I mean, we I always. Try. You know, I try. You know what's so funny? We put that what? on. Did you know? He's right, though. You're, you're so right because it's so funny. I try. I remember listening to yeah. it, checking it out, and then seeing that footage in No Direction Home, the Dylan documentary. Yeah. Can you c- call, please come through my window? And we were dying. We were like, man. And you're just wondering, like, what America was thinking watching him on TV back then. You know, because he's on TV. He, and all it the
1: reminded, people... it, in it's a bizarre. way, he reminds you of some of the,
0: the <laughs> roles that were fulfilled by like BBC. <laughs> yeah, companies. but I wonder the what British you thought were of it. British
1: exposed to so many eccentrics. You yeah,
0: know? I'm not even. Joking. We, we got like. I want to ask you one last question and say goodbye because the disc is going to run out. So I just okay. want to quickly say. So I want to ask you about all tomorrow's parties this year. You're curating. I've and you're gonna play band, cryptograms, yeah. uh, Michael Castle and Halcyon Digest together. Uh, you're
1: gonna do uh, back to back is what the plan is, <laughs> which is fucking bullshit, man. Nobody's ever done that. You know? Yeah, I mean it's amazing. I There's mean it's, it's one thing together. to like, reunite to play one album, but we have to learn uh, three.
0: That takes a lot of discipline, and it takes a lot of like. <laughs> well, general, I'll you say know?
1: one thing. I have a I have the greatest rock band in the world, with behind me, uh, which is great. Like you know, Locket <laughs> uh, and the new members, Frankie and Josh. And uh, Moses, we've never had better morale, and they are just utter professionals. And but they're also real artists. I I have nothing but admiration. I mean, I walk away. I go. I go get you know some groceries for everybody. You know, and I come back, and they've learned five songs, and they sound better than the record. It's
0: and you're like, all right, this is great. I can work through this. This is well. It's just a
1: real feeling. You saw us rehearsing today for Bound. It's like a punk machine. Yeah.
0: It, I'm glad you're I'm going to be watching you on Fallon. I got the DVR set to record. Yeah,
1: I it think it should be interesting. I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, what
0: I'm, song are you going to do?
1: Uh, a new song called Monomania. Oh, oh you, the title track. Al- I got the album. So, yeah, uh, I just yeah, got it. Yeah, so it's going to I
0: listened to it twice because I'd I gotten it the other day, so I just listened to it through twice. Yeah, already. Monomania, Yeah.
1: which is my, you know- Title track. My uh, is- statement of purpose.
0: That's great.
1: Well, listen, well, so thanks so much for coming up. It's been such an honor. I really, I, I wish we could we, sincerely would love- do some kind of, you
0: know... We should do something like an extended continuation of this. So, Bradford, thanks so much for coming, man. It yeah. was great, amazing to have you here. Yeah, real pleasure. Thanks, Matt. You know, and Monomania's new record from Deer Hunter. This has been The Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.